And one of the biggest considerations I made was the fact that I was leaving a very highly socially integrated structure um, with the office that I would go into in a, in a very large and substantial, you know, social um, structure that helped me in my day to day. And, and Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. Uh, so, Brian, we've got a special guest with us this week. Um, this week, we have Kyle Laidwig of Out of Office. Uh, Out of Office started with the belief that you should be free to choose when and where you work, so you have more time for everything else. Uh, it's a fully remote, uh, venture-based startup that helps other remote workers feel less isolated through in-person and online co-working groups called work clubs. Uh, while remote work provides flexibility when it comes to finding work-life balance, the problem is that pretty much all of remote work happens alone. Uh, even before the current situation, one of the biggest issues facing remote workers has been isolation and loneliness. Uh, Out of Office's mission is to give remote workers a great place to work and help find uh, people that they can enjoy working alongside. So, Kyle, it's great to have you with us this week. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, it's great to be here. Cool. So, you know, I, I gave it just a brief intro of, of out of office in the company. So to get us started, why don't you um, tell us a little bit more about yourself, your inspiration, and uh, how you got to this point? Sure. Yeah. So like you said, my company's name is out of office and we started about a year and a half ago. And, you know, like a typical venture back startup, you, you usually start with an idea and that changes six or seven times in the course of your existence. Um, But you usually stay pretty focused on a market and a a big idea. And that's definitely been true for us. So, you know, as you can probably guess by the name of our company, we are focused on people who don't have an office or people who work out of the office. And that's how the company was started. My my co-founder, Steve Flory and I, basically saw that the world was moving towards remote work and we thought you know this is an obvious benefit to people and to companies right there's Mm -hmm. extra flexibility you can make your own schedule all these different things but we also saw that there were downsides right and i think a lot of people are experiencing those downsides right now with this you know forced working from home environment where you have no separation between your home life and your work life. Uh, you, you know, don't get fresh air sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't meet people. You don't get that social interaction that you get around the office water cooler. And so our company was basically started to solve some of those problems. That's awesome. Um, so what's been the response to, to out of office from, from your customers? You know, how do they review, uh, view remote work and, and community? 
Yeah, so this was a big learning for us. Uh, if you look at where we started the company a year and a half ago and where we are today, you know, my background is in commercial real estate and real estate technology. My co-founder's background, he's a, you know, top mobile engineer uh, out here in Silicon Valley and has worked for some of the biggest tech companies uh, in in the world. Um, and so we started by saying, well, what do people who work remotely miss? What do they not have? And, you know, the obvious answer is they don't have a place to work, right? They, they right. are either they work from home or they work from Starbucks. So our first product was all about connecting people with spaces, right? The idea was, well, if you work remote, let me show you all the other places you could work that aren't your couch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the company has gone through several iterations, but the big insight we had was that the biggest thing remote workers are missing is not a fancy office with fancy furniture and, and all that. What they're missing is social interaction. And, it, and, you know, there's survey after survey, report after report that show the number one problem remote workers face is isolation and loneliness. And so as soon as we started focusing on that, we came up with the idea for work club, which is much more about finding your people, not finding your mm. perfect space. So you can find a, a crew of coworkers for the day. It happens to be in a very cool coffee shop or co-working space. Um, but it really is about building that daytime work community. So it's not necessarily about, you know, um, selling, you know, a co-working space. It's about connecting people and then, you know, the space becomes irrelevant then. Am I understanding it correctly? I don't know that the space becomes irrelevant, but I would describe it as a gift with purchase. And I think this okay. is a problem that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs in our category have, have made. Uh, you know, they focus too much on the physical environment and not enough on what binds people together, what energizes people, uh, what creates that, that accountability and community. And that really is other people. So uh, I wouldn't say the space is irrelevant. You know, I've uh, worked my whole career uh, in and around the, the commercial real estate space. So I'm a huge believer in um, the impact and, and importance of physical spaces. But when it comes to remote work and when it comes to our product work club, the emphasis is certainly on finding other people. So walk us through a little bit about how that works. Um, you know, if, if I was a, to look into, you know, getting a work club here in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, is it just to address kind of that social need and that kind of loneliness and that isolation? Um, or is it related to the industry and it's a way to network as well? Sure. So let me start by painting a picture of what work club looks like. And, and again, this is all pre-COVID world because our product is going to change and we can get into that. But the product is going to change a little bit um, in, in you know, the kind of post-COVID reality. So pre-COVID, if you signed up for a work club, you would be signing up in a small group setting uh, to go somewhere for two to four hours. You show up. There's a host. We have a, a network of almost 500 hosts all over the world. And that host would have a, a big communal table set up. Uh, they would know where the, where the 
power outlets are and they would know the Wi-Fi password. They would probably even know the barista and be able to hook you up with a, with a drink. Uh, and so that's the environment. In terms of, you know, whether we organize work clubs around industry or job function, we have occasionally. But what we found is that that, that sort of uh, randomness and, and serendipity that comes from people outside your industry is actually a much more enjoyable experience. And I think, you know, that's the sort of new possibility that's opened up by everybody working remote is you're not constrained to socializing with the people that happen to work at your company or in your department or in your, you know, cubicle circle. Uh, you know, you can really expand your horizons and get a different perspective. Yeah, you know, when you're saying that, like, you know, picking your coworkers or something, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of like that phrase, like, you, you can't pick your family, but you can pick your friends or something. Like that. I think I just butchered <laughs> it on the fly. But you made me think of that, you know, you, you know, picking the people you want to work with versus just the coworkers you have to work with. Like, I've got to work with this guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, I, I would say, yeah, I mean, that that really is the story of our company. If you think about mm -hmm. how people have spent their workday for the last couple hundred years, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in most cases, they have very little choice in the matter. You know, who, who decides where a company locates their headquarters? You know, there's this myth or, or in any, you know, misheld belief that it's a group decision. And, you know, in reality, it's one person's decision. It's the CEO's decision. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why CEOs typically have the shortest commute. Yeah. And everybody else has to go along with it. Yeah. And if you happen to live an hour away from the office, well, tough luck. You know, that's your fault that you can't afford a home, you know, close to the office or that your kids want to go to school somewhere else. And I think that's going to change in the next few years. I think individual workers are going to have a lot more autonomy and choice and, and they're going to be a lot more empowered to create their own workday. Mm -hmm. So, so you were mentioning a couple of minutes ago that, you know, your, your product pre COVID, I've been thinking about how, you know, things are going to look post COVID. Um, you know, uh, like we, you know, we ourselves are, are completely distributed. So Bryant's in Utah. I'm right outside of Philadelphia. We've got someone in LA, someone in Atlanta where we're all spread out, but all of our clients historically have gone into an office. And then back in March, they were just kind of thrown into the fire. It's like, grab your laptops, get what you need out of the office. You're working from, from home for the foreseeable future. Um, but one of the things I've been thinking about in recent weeks is how is this going to start to, to change going forward? And one of the things and I'd like to get your, your thoughts on it is I think like, I don't want to say it's, it's not going to be like an exodus from urban living, but to your point of being where the office is, I foresee a lot of people being able to show that they don't necessarily need to come into an office to be able to get their job done. I foresee a lot of people starting to make the move to, I'm going to move two hours away from the office. Right. If the office is in New York City, the office is in LA, well, I'm, I'm moving two, two and a half hours away and I'll be in every Monday uh, to meet, you know, for in-person <clears> meetings <throat> that have to be handled that way. Other than that, I'm, I'm going to be working remotely. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts? Like, is, is that kind of the, are you seeing maybe something similar or, or in the same vein? I would say I partially agree with that. So, okay. so I, I do not believe cities are going to die anytime soon. Oh, no, no I, don't, I don't think so either. 
Yeah. So, so I think, you know, humans, I always call, I don't know who coined this phrase, but it's a good one. It's, you know, humans are wired with this urge to merge, right? And this goes back to, you know, cavemen days with, mm-hmm. you know, being safer in a tribe or, or, you know, eating more often if you're cooperating and, and hunting together. And that's still true today. So I think some people will certainly figure out that they can afford a higher quality of life if they leave these really expensive markets uh, like San Francisco, where I'm based, you know, uh, I mean, housing is still insanely expensive, even though, you know, rents have probably dropped 20% in the last couple of months. It's still really expensive to live here. And mm-hmm. if you can command a San Francisco salary, but live somewhere that's more affordable, um, why not? Right. Uh, so I think uh, I always think about the future, uh, just given my background in terms of how does the built world change? How do, how do, how do people change the way they use space? And so I think the first thing you're seeing, which is probably obvious, is retail is changing dramatically. I, I, I mm-hmm. worry a lot about local restaurants, local coffee shops, places like that, that, you know, really can't afford to be offline and out of business for three months. And I think that the next logical category to get hit really hard is hospitality, hotels, right? Because travel's down. But then I think about, you know, my world, which is, uh, you know, revolves around people's workday and their workspace. I think offices are going to change a lot, right? I mean, like you said, remote kind of tends to be a one-way street. And by that, I mean, once you give your employees the ability to live farther away or work remotely, how do you then claw back that benefit or claw back those policies? It's very difficult. You know, it's like, you know, I don't know what the right analogy is, but it's kind of like trying to put together a a broken vase or something. Right. I mean, it's like, it's very difficult. So to answer your question about whether or not we become more distributed as a society, uh, I'm not sure. I think some people will choose to do that, but I think cities are, are important for a whole bunch of other reasons other than uh, being where the jobs are. Mm-hmm. No, totally fair point. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's not going to be like the the end of the city, but I think, you know, I, I foresee at least some starting to, 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 to move out. Yeah, well, look, I mean, it, it all comes down to choice. When, when people are empowered with more choice, they have more options available. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, people have not felt empowered with the choice of where to live, right? I mean, or at least they've had fewer options. So I think you're right. Given more options, people will choose different paths. And that path might be one that leads to the suburbs or these, you know, up and coming markets that are more affordable and, and with more access to open space or, you know, more bang for your buck. But, um, you know, I live in San Francisco, I'm a city guy. So I, I love being in a city and, and being able to walk places. So that probably won't change for me. But uh, a lot of people who have been struggling to live a comfortable life in the city will, will certainly leave.
Yeah. And there's definitely some bias. So I, I live in suburban Philadelphia, maybe 25 minutes away from center city, but like over the last like two, three years, like I've been kind of feeling like the calling to move out even a little bit further, not say completely rural, but definitely maybe an hour, hour and a half away from, from the city where things are even a bit more, bit more spread out. Yeah. I, mean, I you know, I spent um, a brief period of, of, my career at Lyft, thinking about autonomous cars and how, how, and I was helping them come up with a real estate strategy for their autonomous group. So I've thought a little bit about, you know, how do mobility patterns and traffic patterns change in an autonomous vehicle world? And right now with remote work, I think about how do traffic patterns and, and, and how does mobility change in an autonomous worker world? And, you know, you think about what drives the value of real estate and what drives choices about where to live. Think about something as simple as public transit, right? I'm guessing, like, like you know, like the case here in the Bay Area, but I'm guessing in Philadelphia, houses that are close to the main transit lines are more expensive because it makes your commute easier. easier. Your, yeah. Yeah, so well, what happens again, you don't need to commute. You know, maybe you don't need to be right next to the bus line or the, the, the metro line. So I think there's a lot of, of things that will happen in terms of where people choose to spend their time uh, and what drives value. So like right now, like, you know, Everybody, you know, the majority of people who are now working remotely, like this is something completely new to them. And one of the things Bryant and I have talked a lot about is, is like, this is not normal remote work. This, you know, at least for, for the majority of the people, because like, I, I know at this point, like my, my family's home all day now, it, it, it's much different than the normal. Like I was talking to my sister over the weekend and she's a teacher, so she's teaching from home. My brother-in-law is working from home. They've got three kids, two of which are trying to homeschool. And like at some points of the day, like they're, they're, they're at their, their wits end. So what would you tell someone who's like, you know, this remote work stuff is not nearly as glamorous as everyone makes it out to be because, you know, we're just kind of thrown into this situation. Well, first I a hundred percent agree with, you know, working from home in the middle of a pandemic is not working from home. I would also argue that working from home is not the same as working remote. So there's three different definitions and we can dig deeper into each of those. But, you know, I think the most difficult situation is working from home with kids, right? It's like every day is bring your kids to work day. <laughs> and that's usually not the most productive day of the year. And so, so yes, the first thing for everyone to realize is that working from home now is probably not the long-term equilibrium we're going to get to once it's safe to go back outside. So um, that's the first thing I would say is you just realize that this isn't how it's going to be forever. Uh, and what we've seen in our research and in, in running our business is that very few remote workers, very, very few. And I, I'm, I would say I've personally sat down with probably 300 or 400 remote workers. And I can remember very distinctly the one or two 
that actually worked from home every day, that physically sat at home all day, every day. There's, you know, I, I, I say this a lot, but, um, you know, the biggest co-working operator in the world is not WeWork or Regis or, or anybody like that. It's Starbucks mm-hmm. because people leave the house, you know, even if it's just to leave the house and grab a cup of coffee while you're on a conference call right now, we're like literally trapped indoors all day, every day. So it's a very different environment for sure. Yeah. People, people have asked us a lot about that and we on it, like we do what we can to, to help them, but it's, this is a non normal work from home kind of situation there for sure. So. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't pretend to be the expert in uh, work from home tips during a uh, <laughs> a pandemic. Right. So, but 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 you know, I can share kind of what we've done as a team, right? We're a small team of 5. Uh and what we've done to make this a little bit more bearable and a little bit more productive is, you know, we have a daily meeting to kick off the day. Right. And it's and I'm not a huge fan of saying, you know, get a routine and stick with it, because I actually think that leads to a very monotonous, almost like draining experience if there's no variety in your workday. But I think starting your day with some sort of ritual or routine is really important. And so we start off with a team call 845 a.m. every day. And, you know, it's a, it's partly social, but it's mostly tactical. And then, you know, the other thing we do is we really try to think about where in my day am I going to get that social interaction or that fresh air or that exercise and really kind of go through the planning early in the morning of when am I going to carve out time for my own sanity, right, or my own health and well-being. And if you do that, um, I think it, it, it certainly tends to break up the day a bit more and it, you have less of that blurring together of, of the weekdays that I think everyone is experiencing. Yeah, yeah, totally. So you said something interesting a little bit earlier too about how cities aren't aren't going to die any soon, anytime soon. And I I wanted to explore that a little bit more too, and how um, I've kind of seen something. So I live in in Utah, and over the last I'd say decade. A lot of the Californians have left California for places like Utah or Portland or Seattle or Phoenix. And like I've even seen it moving up into Idaho and in Montana now with the availability of being able to work more outside of a city center, so to speak, people are moving and kind of exploring um, the rest of the country. And Unfortunately, some of the secrets of, of why Utah is great have no longer become, or, or the secrets are, are out, right? Like the, uh, the outdoors and the exploration and the adventure that you can have here, if you're into that kind of a thing, has attracted a lot of people, which has been really good from an economic standpoint, but sometimes from a social standpoint, we go to national parks to get away and now they're flooded with people. But um, I digress a little bit here from kind of the crux of the question, which is, around you know as you what what are you seeing industry-wide and and trends from that uh, trend of people leaving some traditional mega city center areas to other parts of the country and what do you think that you know COVID is going to do to that as well 
Yeah, well, the phenomenon you just described is kind of like being an early fan of a band and then as soon as they become popular, right, yeah, uh, yeah. you're pissed off. Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to, to, to be mad about that, right? It's like, yeah. you know, the first reaction is, well, this is mine and nobody else should get it. But, you know, the, the positive way of looking at that is, hey, there's other people out there like me who appreciate the same things and isn't that great? Unfortunately, that's not the way it usually happens. Um, I, you, you know, know, I'm selfish with that one. I'll admit it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, you know, people, you know, there's a little bit of kind of selfish nature in there where it's like, I want, I want the national parks all to myself. And that's part of what makes them great is when they're not crowded. And, but, but look, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I, I couldn't tell you what, um, what will change with where people live and work, but I, I can tell you what I think decisions will be based on. So for example, if you're running a company right now and you paid an arm and a leg to have that beautiful office with, with you know, with the right address and, you know, the great views, I think you're probably second guessing a lot of those decisions right now. Uh, and I think you're realizing that, you know, maybe I should be investing more time in my company's culture, right? In my employees' happiness and mental health and spend less time uh, thinking about what uh, furniture to buy. So I think decisions will, will the, the, the driving motivation behind some of those decisions will change. I've heard a lot of predictions. I've heard predictions that suburban offices are going to become popular again because that's where people want to live and the offices are going to be smaller and cheaper and all and i don't know everybody's got their own opinion um but you know we we've talked with remote workers from all over the world and i wouldn't say there are any clear trend lines of where people are moving and where people want to live i think the first phase of remote work is your you kind of get in that fantasy headspace of I could live anywhere. I might as well go to Bali and just live on the beach. And then you get confronted with a bunch of different realities like, well, that's not where my friends are. That's not where my family is. And, you know, I don't really like the food in Bali. I'd rather have, you know, a cheeseburger when I want one. So I think, um, I think right now there's probably going to be a, a bit of a period where people who are, I'll call them, you know, newly liberated, newly remote. They enter that fantasy world and some of them will pursue that fantasy of living in the middle of nowhere, or living on a beach. But a lot of us will just have an incrementally better quality of life because we can make our own choices. Yeah, it's interesting. It's It's been an interesting phenomenon to see and um, good to hear your perspective on that too. So what is it about um, city living for you that is you know, it, that attracts you to that? And, and how does that play into uh, the broader, you know, issues that we're seeing around COVID? Like, what are your thoughts around that? Well, I talked earlier about this urge to merge, and I think mm -hmm. I probably have a stronger urge to merge than your average person. You know, I, I love being within walking distance of my friends. Uh, I love uh, the idea that there's a new interesting person I could meet right around the corner or, you know, right across the street. So that's interesting to me. Uh, and I also love the convenience of being able to walk down a street and, you know, have 
three different bars or coffee shops or restaurants to, to choose from. So that's why I love city living. And San Francisco is nice because we do have some open spaces. So it's not like I'm totally closed into this concrete jungle. Um, so that's why I love the city. And uh, in terms of, you know, I think the second part of your question was, you know, what, how does COVID change that? Mm -hmm. I think, unfortunately, what makes this virus so dangerous is also what makes us human <laughs> is, is mm -hmm. you know, we are drawn to each other and we're not, we're not biologically wired to stand six feet apart or to talk over Zoom. I, not, I think not have physical contact, right? I mean, yeah, like, like, yeah, physical contact's a big part of the human experience, right? Shaking hands or hugging or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think, um, you know, humans are both wired to interact in real life, but they're also wired for innovation. So like you just mentioned a, a simple example, which is shaking hands, you know, what's mm -hmm. that going to look like post COVID? I have no idea. I've seen elbow taps and uh, plenty of awkward, you know, half handshake, mm -hmm. half wave situations, you know. Well, we've all been up... doing the bro hug from far away for a while, right? <laughs> you know, so like, you know, yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, what's what's the future of, of saying hello and introducing yourself? I mean, I'm just fascinated by those types of uh, changes, right, which, which, you know, might not move uh, cities or, or move traffic patterns, but I think they change the way we go about our lives. Uh, so, you know, if, if you couldn't tell already, which I'm sure you, you can, you know, we built our business based around the belief that interacting offline is so much better than interacting online that it, you know, deserves time and attention to figure out how we can do that safely. Yeah. And, and so that's where we're spending most of our time. Yeah. Cool. Um, so last week you, you had uh, put out a blog post and one of the things you had mentioned in it was this idea of, of social debt. And I'll be honest with you. It's the first time I had ever heard about it and it, it, I'm going to link up the, the blog post in the show notes. I think it, it, it's, it's a great look at things, especially as we've been talking about like people suddenly thrown into the remote working situation and then, you know, the increase in the isolation and loneliness. So can you tell us a bit more about, um, you know, this, the concept of social debt that you were talking about? Sure. Yeah. I, I got to give some credit here because there was a, a professor at, uh, at Stanford where I went to school who taught a class about sleep. And there was this idea of sleep debt. Mm -hmm. And the idea is pretty simple. It's that, you know, if you miss an hour of sleep every night, it actually compounds on itself. Mm -hmm. And you could be 20 or 30 or 80 hours in debt. And until you make up for that sleep, you're not quite right. You don't, you don't feel right. You're not in a good mood. You're, you don't feel energized. And one of my big fears with the way the world is going, and it's one of my big concerns about remote work in general, is that humans were not designed or meant to work alone all day. And when you work remote or work alone all day, you're missing out on all these social interactions. 
And so I think the metaphor is pretty simple. It's, you know, you go into social debt where you need to go out and interact with people to eliminate that debt. And, you know, it's, it's a different way of, of talking about uh, a looming mental health crisis that I think we could be headed towards where people just are alone, isolated, depressed, uh, and, you know, not feeling great. And I don't think, you know, 20% unemployment helps that either. So there's a lot going on. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to raise awareness about some of these issues so that we can start tackling them. I think that's really interesting. And in, in some of the data is now suggesting, you know, some of that social uh, debt that's accumulating too, with increases of, you know, things like, you know, substance abuse or domestic violence cases on the rise and that alongside this, it's, um, you know, beyond just getting your work done, I think there is some real physical and mental harm that that's happening out there. Yeah, look, it's scary. I, I've, I've spent a lot of time looking through all the surveys and, and academic research on loneliness, and it's been linked to an increase in ER visits. It's mm-hmm. been linked to increased levels of anxiety and depression. Uh, you know, there was even one study that it showed uh, the effect of loneliness can be as bad as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day on oh, your wow, physical health, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, it's, 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 and there's a lot of questions out there about cause and effect, right? Does, does bad health cause loneliness because you can't leave the house or does loneliness cause bad health because you don't want to leave the house? You know, who, who knows? Um, but the loneliness problem is actually a lot bigger than, than you might realize. There was a, a study, earlier this year by Cigna that that showed three in five Americans identify as being lonely. And that number is a lot higher for remote workers. So, you know, it's clearly affecting the majority of us. I think everybody feels lonely at some point in time. Now I'll I'll add some silver lining or the kind of optimist view of this is that it's actually a very solvable problem at least when it comes to solving for workday community. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's plenty of studies out there that show even one meaningful social interaction in your day, which could last all of three minutes, can completely turn around your mood and your disposition. And so that's what we're trying to solve for is, how do I take the remote worker who's trapped in their basement working all day, get them out into the real world, into a safe environment where they can have one or two or three meaningful social interactions. And if we do that, I think the bulk of remote works downsides disappear. No. Yeah. It's really cool and positive message about that too. And it's, um, it's always fun talking to people that are trying to, you know, not just create a business for the sake of creating a business, but solving like an actual problem, um, that goes beyond, you know, making a profit, right? And so um, that's that's a big part of what we try and do in our day-to-day is as we work with people, you know, we're an analytics and optimization firm, but at the end, we're all people and we work with those people to help them do more with their job, regardless, you know, it's it's analytics, right? But, you know, we're, we're there to help people. So it's, it's 
it's great meeting and hearing from other people that are are similar with that. So, yeah, well, thank you. I mean, this is the first job I've had where uh, you know you're solving your own problem. You know, when I when I started my career, I was a commercial real estate broker, and I was solving problems for people that had millions of dollars to invest in downtown skyscrapers. <laughs> it's not really a problem. It's not a problem I had when I was 21. Uh, you know, and, and now, you know, we're a remote first company. You know, my co-founder lives an hour away from me. You know, even pre-COVID, I would see him maybe once a week in person. And our very first hire was up in uh, Portland, Oregon, right? Mm -hmm. We've got an engineer down in San Diego. We're a remote company. So, you know, it forces us to use our own product. It forces us to solve our own problems. And from just a company building standpoint, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a great way to build a business and build a culture. Because everybody is, is by default, you know, on the same team and, and has the same goals. So, so speaking of which, one of the things I wanted to do, because I know we're, this conversation for me is definitely flying by is I want to pivot the conversation a bit and, and talk about, you know, the, the company, the, you know, how, how you're distributed and what are some of the lessons you've learned, you know, um, building a, a remote first company? Yeah, well, we're, we're a small team, like I said, so there's five of us. So let me caveat all of this by saying what works for us will probably work for small companies and almost definitely will not work for large companies. I think there's a different culture and a different approach to large enterprise problems. But the first advice I always give anybody who asks me this question is when you're building a remote team, the first thing is to build a remote team, not build an in-office team and then push them to be remote. So, so I think that's a, a different type of challenge a lot of companies are going to face as they move toward a remote work policy is people essentially didn't sign up for that. And there, there's a lot of change management that's required for that. So the first thing I, I would say is, you know, make a decision of whether you're going to be remote or not and hire people who self-select into that environment. Number two, this is the most important thing, especially for a startup. You have to hire people that are self-starters. And by that, I mean, they don't wake up every day and wait to be told what to do. They look for where they can add value. They pick up tasks and projects that are outside their job description. And typically that means it's somebody with more experience, usually five or more years experience in their domain. And when you hire those people, it's a lot easier to manage because you don't need to be looking over someone's shoulder or bumping into them in the hallway and saying, oh, are you, are you working on that report? You know, people can kind of, find their own way to manage their time. Yep. Sorry, Jim, you, you don't make the cut on that last one. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think that's interesting because, um, you know, our group here is similar, you know, we're smaller in size. Um, we all are, you know, uh, we, we work remotely ourselves and, you know, we, none of us have anything less than 10 years experience in the field that we're in. So, um, you know, maybe that makes the case that the big businesses are good for people to cut their teeth and learn on if, if they, they, 
you know, grind out of the corporate grind, then, um, you know, then, then they turn into someone that's looking to, to work remote. Um, but the whole conversation brings me back to actually my decision to leave, you know, my last, my last corporate job was with Adobe. Um, and, you know, I've been with 33 sticks just over a year now. And, and one of the biggest considera- considerations I made was the fact that I was leaving a very highly socially integrated structure um, with the office that I would go into in a, in a very large and substantial, you know, social um, structure that helped me in my day to day. And, and truthfully, of you know, as I considered making the change from, you know, working there to, to coming to, to 33 Sticks, um, I knew that that was actually going to be the hardest um, adaptation for myself. And I'd worked remotely before for an agency for about five years. Um, so I knew kind of what I was getting into, but, you know, looking back on it in a year, um, that probably has been the hardest adjustment, the, the, you know, missing out on the casual conversations and the bumping into halls and talking about what happened with the sports team last weekend. You know, I can do that all through Slack and other mediums, and I've kept in touch with a lot of people, but, but that interaction and that face-to-face has been, has been difficult for me. Yeah, you're you're reminding me of a very famous, often cited study, uh, actually by a Stanford researcher, and they looked at a Chinese travel company called Ctrip. I think I think they had something like sixteen thousand employees, and they they took a, a bunch of them and said, "You work from home for the next couple of months or whatever," and they gathered all this data. They showed people were happier, more productive. They worked longer hours. All this stuff was great. And at the end of it, they said, okay, you've tried this for a couple of months. What do you want to do? And they said, I want to come back to the office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? it's kind of, it, it defied logic, right? Because they said they were happier and they said they were more productive. And the reason they wanted to come back was because they missed those relationships. They missed the socializing. And so I... Again, I got to believe there's a better way to get that social interaction, to feel like you're a part of a community, feel like you're part, you have that camaraderie and accountability without being restricted to the people who happen to work for your company. Right. And that is the most exciting thing that will happen, I think, coming out of COVID and, and into this newly remote world is you can choose your coworkers. I mean, it's like a very, you know, simple, but I think pretty revolutionary idea that, you know, you can pick your job and the coworkers might not come with it, you know? And so uh, I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I think it's going to be great for a lot of people. Um, and, and you're right. You know, you just, you can't ignore the, the human element of, of the workspace and the workday. By the way, Jim, that wasn't a slight against you either. You and I are, you know, we're like two peas in a pod. So it's been great there. So we are, we are. That's an interesting study. Do you, um, uh, do you have a link to that? I'd like to actually read a little bit more about that and get some of the details. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to, I'm happy to share with you uh, links for all these things that I've, I've mentioned, including cool. the Cygnus study. I mean, there's a lot of good literature out there, you know, and, uh, unfortunately, like, you know, that, that Chinese travel agency study that I mentioned is from 2012, right? 
I mean, you know, so much has changed just technologically and even, you know, uh, in society and not to mention the fact it was a Chinese company that has a very different, you know, culture than, than maybe here in the, in the States. So, but I'm happy to share all those links. Cool. That'd be awesome. Um, so I have one last question for you. Um, you know, one of the things we, we were talking about when, you know, we were, you know, prepping for this is, um, you mentioned you had vocal cord surgery a little while back. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to, to know what it was like, you know, trying to run a company with limited, um, ability to, to, to speak, or even maybe not able to speak at, uh, at certain points. Yeah, I guess now that we're 40 minutes into this podcast, the fact that you can still hear me and understand me is a, a miracle of modern medicine. So <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, kind of a, I'll, I'll give you the short version of a crazy story, which is I went to the doctor in December and, uh, you know, my, I, I had burned my tongue on a piece of food and, you know, I, I wound up, uh, you know, she gave me some medicine, said, this will fix that. No problem. But your voice sounds really hoarse. And I said, oh, it's been that way my whole life. I've always, you know, lost my voice every once in a while. And I walked out of there with a surgery date. Oh, wow. Because, yeah. So, it, you know, I, this was in December of last year. So, uh, and it turns out, you know, there was this, what they call a nodule or a polyp, basically a small tumor on my vocal cord. And I got that removed in January. And the typical process is you have the surgery and you don't talk for 10 days. Mm -hmm. And then you talk quietly for a couple of weeks until your voice is back to full strength. And, you know, I unfortunately was in this very small uh, percentage of people who get vocal cord scarring after the surgery. So my recovery wasn't 10 days. It was more like two months. Wow. And I really... I would say that, that during those two months, I probably spoke for maybe five days. Wow. And uh, I'll, I'll give you the, the, the downside of that, and then I'll, I'll end on a positive note, I promise. But, the, you know, the downside is you're unable to communicate with people the way that you want. You know, I, 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 I wasn't trapped inside all day, but I was communicating through an app on my phone that basically made my text bigger, you know, and I could, <laughs> I could type, you know, Hey Jim, Hey Brian, and then I could show it to you. So there was just that latency, right? And, and if you want to draw a parallel to what we've been talking about, it's another reason why interacting offline is better than video. Video has that latency, just that, that, that couple mm -hmm. second delay or that half second delay matters a lot. In my, in my case, post-surgery, it was like a 20 second delay, you know? Um, and, and I would compare it to, um, you know, you ever have the, those dreams where you're running in slow motion and the world uh, is kind of okay, going on every, every other month. <laughs> okay. That is what it's like. It's like this constant frustration of not being able to express yourself or express an idea. And keep in mind, I was managing a remote team this whole time. Actually, that's, we launched work club, our latest product while I was silent. Um, so it was a big challenge. Now, the positive side of that is this whole quarantine thing is like a walk in the park for me. <laughs> I mean, first of all, you know, going from not being able to talk to, you know, 
being trapped inside is, is uh, I would take quarantine any day of the week. So, you know, I guess maybe the positive side of this whole thing is it could be worse and, and to, you know, appreciate the abilities you have, appreciate the connections and relationships you have. And I think that's what this whole COVID crisis has really forced us to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's a, a definitely a great perspective um, to, to have. Um, but, but Kyle, it, this has been an awesome conversation. You know, I'm, I'm glad we were able to, to connect and chat. And I was telling my wife maybe two or three weeks ago, one of the, the things I'm taking out of this is, is prior to COVID and, and being quarantined, um, I never took advantage of, of being a remote worker. I would start my day, I'd get heads down and just stay at the home office just to get stuff done. And, um, one of the things, you know, coming out of this is, is I want to take more, you know, take better advantage of being able to go out and, and, diff- um, work at, at different places, even if it's like I schedule like two mornings a week and just, just go work from a coffee shop. And that being said, after, you know, having a chance to, to t- talk with you, um, I'd recommend people check out Out of Office. I know I particularly am going to, to ch- check it out and see if I can't find, you know, a, a group in this area, um, you know, that I can at least meet up with at you know, parts of the week because definitely, you know, I, I can, um, you know, I definitely feel that that loneliness from time to time. And it's definitely been magnified, you know, over the last two months. Yeah, well, this this is great. You guys are rad. I uh, I love everything you guys are doing. And, you know, you're reminding me of another quote, which is don't waste a good crisis. And uh, it's usually used to, for politicians. But I think, that, you know, all of us could probably use that advice right now. And, you know, it's a good time to uh, have a little introspection. Think about how you spend your work day. Think about who you spend it with, and and how your life could be better. You know, once we get out of this mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, totally agree. So cool. Well, again, you know, appreciate the time. Appreciate you joining us, and um, you know, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.